0: Hymn number 202, In Tenderness He Sought Me. I think you can do a lot better with the volume. I do some work in the children's meetings, and I've always urged them to sing their very best. So if if you have a song in your heart tonight, let's hear it. Let's see the smile on your face, and let's sing this here, as unto the Lord, In Tenderness He Sought Me. 366. I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame. If you're converted tonight, men and women, young people, if you're saved, let's sing with a joy in our hearts. We have everything to sing about here tonight. The world has nothing to sing about, but we have. So let's really sing this hymn our very best, I thirsted in the barren land. I done something wrong what gift of grace is jesus my redeemer let's sing this one thank you To sing and thank you. We're going to open our meeting tonight proper with hymn number two six three. We'll all stand to sing this lovely hymn. And can it be that I should gain? There's nothing as good as good singing and there's nothing as bad as bad singing so hopefully i stayed well enough away from the mic we're going to ask stephen fletcher to come now and open our meeting and a wee word of prayer stephen thanks thank
1: you. let us pray our loving heavenly father we thank you we can come into your holy presence again this evening And we thank you that we can come here to hear the news that Jesus saves. We thank you for your word and we thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we pray as the gospel message goes forth tonight that your son Jesus Christ would be glorified. We pray for somebody in our meeting tonight that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own and personal saviour that tonight would be the night that their soul would be convicted and in repenting faith they would come and trust you as their personal Savior. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for going and dying on the cross for us, for shedding your precious blood, for taking my punishment on that old Roman tree. And we thank you that even on the third day you raised victorious from the grave, victory over death and over hell. But Lord, we even think tonight of that verse of what is man that art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him. And Lord, who are we that you would come and sit with us? But we ask you would come and be one of our number, help those that will sing, and help our pastor as he comes and open up your word. And we pray that it would be the word that is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, it would pierce hearts this evening. And even in angels in heaven, would be rejoicing. Over sinners coming to repentance and faith in Christ. So watch over as we pray. Bless the singing, bless every aspect of the meeting, Uh, for and and all we do, may we glorify your Son Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Thank you, Stephen. We're going to sing another hymn now, hymn number one five three. Our Lord is now rejected. It's great folks to have no fear of the crowning day If you're here tonight and you are a child of God If you have asked the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart If you're saved, well then you have no fear of that day The crowning day is coming And are you ready to meet the saviour on that crowning day We're going to have the Hebron choir I'm biased, I think this is one of the best choirs in the north of Ireland But anyway, I'm sure you all would agree. Uh, The Hebrew choir now can come and sing two pieces. I think is that right? Two pieces. Hebron Choir, once again. As Mervyn said, the other night, we never take our choir for granted. And we appreciate everything Sylvia and Dan does for the choir, trying to keep us ordinary folks in tune. We're only only ordinary folks, we're not musicians by any means, but we try our best. And anyway, give you all a very warm word of welcome tonight, once again, to our mission. It's good to see the numbers keeping up and it's good to see Strange, it's going to say strange faces, different faces joining with us each night, and we're very glad of that. The mission continues every night at seven o'clock or at eight o'clock here, and at seven o'clock on the Lord's Day, and them services preceded by half an hour of prayer down in the wee room. Singers uh, every night, uh, and we're looking forward to Mr. and Mrs. Marcus Lakey the Reverend Marcus Leite, tomorrow night. If you want to give an offering towards the expenses of the mission, there is a basket at the door, but there's, uh, there's no offering lifted as such during the weeknights. We're going to now sing another hymn. This is the theme hymn of the mission. And uh, the hymn is, I've heard an old, old story. And tonight you're going to hear the old story once again we have our pastor here who takes our meetings every night and there's one thing we can guarantee that you'll hear the old, old story of the gospel every night and he's faithful to God's word and we appreciate that. So let's really sing and we'll stand to sing once more our theme hymn I've Heard an Old, Old Story. Thank you for the good sing. We're going to welcome back again tonight our preacher, Reverend David Park. We want you to keep our brother in your prayers during the day and uh, until the mission finishes. The devil will be a and we are aware of that. So pray for our pastor this week and next week especially and we welcome him once again to our pulpit. Thank you. I'm going
2: to set this down. That's so the weak people can see me. <laughs> All right. Philip, thank you for leading tonight. Uh, this mission has been a good mission in many ways so far, and not least with the great team that we have behind us. Uh, our members have worked so so well in visitation, coming to the prayer meetings, inviting others. And we have men that are able to pray, men that are able to lead. And we want to thank those who have done that for us. And thank you, Philip. They say that 90% of what you say is body language. All right. In fact, there was a man here last night. Um, I'm told he said he doesn't believe in God, but he came. And as he left, he, he said some nice things at the door. He said, I met some very genuine people here tonight. And I could just tell by looking at them. So there was something he saw in you that encouraged him, and we trusted that, that would even speak. So the language there was when the chorus wasn't moved on, and Philip was singing Right, He knew the chorus, and most of you knew it, but very conscious that maybe not everybody knows the hymn. And uh, so we had a body language so that most of you didn't see what I was doing. Mike went like, here, got his attention, and then went like out there, and he knew exactly what that meant. So uh, that's sign language in... Uh, Free Presbyterian style, I think So we welcome you tonight, thank you for coming Our people have been so supportive of this mission And folks have been coming in uh, who who have been invited And we really appreciate that Uh, These folks sitting on my my extreme right Have come all the way from Belfast (coughs) and the enduring They're in touch with me a lot Uh, They send me a lot of texts and encourage me And I seek to encourage them a little bit And they take a great interest in, in the Lord's work and what is happening at Hebron? Thank you to the choir. I agree with those remarks that are made about our choir. Good choir, the great choir. Uh, no choir that I would want to hear more than the Hebron choir, and I really mean that. Wow. And although although Philip said there's no musicians among them, there are two, three, four, maybe good musicians among them that can play very, very well, and I, I think play very professionally. And whenever I go to glory, I want the Hebron choir to sing at my funeral. So I'll make that we request tonight, if that's all right. The only problem is that half of them will be working and they'll not be able to turn up for the funeral. But whoever comes anyhow, make a joyful noise unto the Lord and the rest in the congregation can can join them and sing a wee bit as well. I want you to pray uh, for the mission. We've often seen the prayer meetings as being vital to anything that happens in God's work. And we meet in one of the classrooms Just as you come down the corridor, turn right. If you can come and pray with us, we'd really appreciate that. Praying always with all prayer is what the Bible says. So, yes, we have the public times. But during the day, during the night, I don't sleep very well. So sometimes I'll wake up through the night, every night. And I'm able just to pray even for a little while. Lord, bless the mission and send the Spirit and send the power of God. Bring sinners to Christ It's the deep desire of our heart at this time. And women, if you're doing your housework, you can pray. If you're at your place of work, you can pray. If you're working with machinery, you need to do what the Bible says, watch and pray and uh, make sure that no accidents take place, but pray. That's the key, that God will come and visit with us in mighty power. You know, many years ago when I came to uh, Balaamuni, that's just over 26 years ago, the elders of the church decided we would run a mission Every year, on a Bible conference every year. And uh, they, they decided the way back then that we would do one mission in the church and then one mission in an outreach area. In other words, outside the church. And that worked for a few years. But we were greatly encouraged by the outreach missions. And what they had decided at the time was, whenever we have it in the church, we'll get another minister in and he can preach. Whenever we have an outreach one, we'll get you to preach. And then uh, we start to have outreach ones every single year. And every single year, I do tell them, brethren, if you want to get somebody else, it's fine. Don't think you have to have me. But uh, thank you for putting your confidence in me to be the evangelist at this mission. I really appreciate that. And may the Lord bless his word as we come to it now. Matthew chapter 25. (coughs) Matthew 25. We have been going to various places, some of those places um, we had never been in before. Uh, Dariada, we've never been here before for a mission. The high school, five years ago, we put a tent up in the Glebe four years ago. I think that was the last mission before COVID hit. And we've been to various community centers. And usually at most of the missions, someone or some people come to know the Lord. And then sometimes, many years later, you hear that there, were, there was other fruit. And someone was telling me recently that they were going door to door in Stranocum. And some of you remember the mission that we had in Stranocum quite a few years ago. And they met a lady, and she said, you know, I, I got saved. I got saved at that mission in Stranocum. And there was something that we didn't know about, but she's soundly saved and on with the Lord. And that's what it's all about. We don't need to know about it. The important thing is that her name is written in heaven. That she knows the Lord. She's going to glory. And there's nothing more important for you than your name to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That you be soundly saved by God's grace. It doesn't matter whether you come to the free church or not. That's not important. You're not going to be asked when you go through the gates of glory, what church did you belong to? But you will be asked, are you born again? Are you saved by the grace of God? It's the only way to heaven. There's no other way. And Jesus made that clear. It's not grace plus something. It's grace alone. Some people think it's grace, and then you have to do an awful lot to earn your way to heaven. And what an insult. What an insult that is to Christ. Because really what you're saying is, Jesus, your work was not enough. And I have to do something to get to heaven. I want you to know every night of this mission, Jesus paid it all. Nothing more to do. Nothing more to add. It's not Jesus plus Muhammad. It's not Jesus plus our good works. It's not Jesus plus any religion. It's Jesus alone. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Now, let's read God's Word, the opening 13 verses of this wonderful, and it is a wonderful passage of Scripture. It's one of my favourite, these two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25, because they contain a sermon that was preached by the greatest preacher, preached by Christ. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. With our Bibles before us, let's pray. Let's just look to the Lord for a moment. Our gracious God, realizing our tremendous need of our God tonight and the power of the Spirit, we turn aside in prayer, just very simply, to pray that the Lord will come, especially near Visit us, Lord, with your power, with the outpouring of the Spirit. Give me help to bring the message, and give help to hear the message. And may the message fall into good ground and bring forth fruit unto Almighty God. We pray that you will bless your word to the hearts of those that listen here in this room and those that are tuning in on the Internet as well. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The parable that we've read tonight is part of a prophetical sermon that Jesus Christ preached. In fact, it was the last sermon that he preached before he went to the cross of Calvary. His ministry is now over, his public ministry, and he's leaving the temple for the very last time. And as they leave the temple, the disciples draw attention to the beautiful buildings of the temple. It seems to me in my mind that they said to the Lord, look at these beautiful buildings, the house of worship, the place that is known as the house of prayer. And they were told by the Lord Jesus Christ, you see all these things, they're going to be destroyed. It's coming a day when not one stone will be left upon another. And so they left the city, they make their way to the Mount of Olives and there amidst the trees of the olives, as they sat down, no doubt having thought about what the Lord had just told them about the beautiful buildings of the temple, they asked the question. A question that is in their mind and heart is back there in chapter twenty four and verse two. Tell us, or verse three, tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. And the question embraces three points. We have, first of all, the destruction of the temple. We have, secondly, the second personal advent of Jesus Christ when he comes again. And the third part is to do with the end of the world. And we can expect these three points to be answered by the Lord in his discourse. Now, parts of the answer are so entwined together That it's hard to separate them and disentangle them. But it's all here a full and a complete answer to the inquiry that was made. And you read down the verses as the Lord preaches this sermon, and you learn something about the character of the age in which Jesus will come. It's going to be an age of deception, there'll be wars, there'll be famines, there'll be earthquakes natural disasters. We've seen that, haven't we? Just recently this week, thousands of people killed. There'll be persecution of God's people. Sin will be abounding. Cold-heartedness will be something found in many of God's people. And there will be tribulation. And then, Jesus Christ will come in power and glory. Run your eye down to verse 29 of chapter 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, says Jesus, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from one from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, the second half of the sermon is here in chapter 25. And he illustrates his coming again by telling three great parables for the purpose of instilling and impressing three great needs into the hearts of his people. First of all, he tells the parable that we have read tonight of the ten virgins. And I think... Written across that is the word watchfulness. We've got to watch for the coming of the Lord. Then he tells the parable of the talents. And I think written across that parable is the word faithfulness. If you're a child of God, God wants you to be faithful to him. A faithful steward. Read it for yourself. And then he tells a third parable of the sheep and the goats. And I just think solemnness is written right across that. What a solemn parable or story the Lord is relating there. Now these three striking parables illustrate the same awful truth. When Christ comes back again, there's going to be a terrible day of division and separation. An awful day. The wise will be separated from the foolish. The faithful will be separated from the unfaithful. And the just will be separated from the unjust. Jesus is coming again. And I want you to know you need to be ready. You need to be ready. Woe betide any soul found on the wrong side at his glorious appearing. Whoever you are in this meeting, you need to be ready. And very simply, I want to just deal with the, the ten virgins tonight and draw some wonderful truths from this passage of scripture that is before us. Now I want you to look at verse one because here we have the picture of the professing church because that's what's described here in the opening verse. Then the kingdom of heaven, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now the picture that's presented to us here is not the world. Jesus is not talking here about the ungodly that live in the world. He's not speaking about the whole inhabitants of the earth. He's not even speaking about the various types of religions and beliefs in the world. It's a picture of the professing church. Jesus is referring to the kingdom of heaven. The word kingdom will immediately make us think about sovereignty. That's what it's referring to. And you will know that there's two words brought together. You have the word king, and you have the little abbreviated word dom. The word dom is the abbreviation of dominion, if you didn't know. And so we're thinking about the dom, the dominion of the king, the place where the king bears rule, where he has authority or ought to have authority. And so a kingdom is the place where the king bears rule. The kingdom of heaven represents the place where heavenly matters are honored, where Christ is recognized as the king. It's the external kingdom of God upon the earth. I want you to understand that. We're not talking here about the the inward kingdom. You're a child of God tonight. You're saved by the grace of God. There's an indwelling person in your heart and that's the Lord Jesus. And where is he or where ought he to be? King upon the throne of your heart. And there is this internal kingdom. We can say that we belong to that kingdom if we're saved. But it's not referring to the internal kingdom. And it's not referring to the earthly kingdom of Christ, that day when he comes again and he sets up his reign here upon the earth and he will rule upon the earth for a thousand years. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. And it's not the eternal kingdom. The eternal kingdom of God is that which will be forever in glory in a future time. No, it's the, it's the visible church here that the Lord is referring to, the kingdom of God upon the earth. The parable illustrates the state of affairs under gospel preaching. Just like tonight, you're sitting here and the gospel is being preached, people are gathered. Just like on a Sunday, when you go to church and people are sitting in church and the word of God is proclaimed, the visible church is represented by these 10 Virgins. Now, all the virgins have an outward profession. They all profess to know the bridegroom. They're all waiting for him coming. They seem to be devoted to him. They want to be accepted by him. And they certainly want, as so many people today do, they, they want to be in heaven forevermore. So there's no outward difference. You understand that? They dress the same, they look the same, they talk the same, they, they live the same way. Just like many who attend our church services today, the pew is filled. They're never absent from the house of God, there they are. They look the part, they look like a Christian. They even carry the lamp in their hand. What is the lamp? Well, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. They carry their Bibles to the house of God, which is a good thing to do. And they, they profess to know the Lord. They might say something like this, I'm a Christian, I know the Lord as my Savior, and they expect to be received. They pray, some of them are baptized, some of them sit at communion, and there's no difference whatsoever on the outside. I want you to get a hold of this picture. Their description, their virgins, their profession, they have lamps, or their possession, they have lamps in their hands, their expectation, they're going forth to meet the bridegroom fully desiring, thinking that they're going to be accepted by him and their inattention because verse 5 tells us that they all slumbered and slept. They became careless. They forgot their duty. The wise slumbered. They became drowsy. The foolish slept. They went to sleep and they continued to stay in that state. And isn't it true we're living in the sleeping age? Saints are slumbering and sinners are sleeping so often when it comes to the things of God. This is the description that's given, the picture of the professing church. But I want you to notice, secondly, that there is the percentage of false professions. And I want you to mark verse 2. If we can give any kind of thought to this by way of percentage, Jesus says, five of them were wise, five were foolish. Not seven were wise and three were foolish or the other way around, but five were wise and five were foolish. In other words, half of them, half of these virgins that Jesus speaks about, were unreal. And that's an alarming reality. 50% of those who, who sit in the visible church and they make an outward profession are not genuine. Now, I would hope with all my heart that... In good gospel preaching churches, the percentage is a lot higher of God's true people. But let's take the visible church right across this world and all the places where thousands of people sit and attend a house of God on a Lord's day. If the calculation of Jesus Christ means anything, it demonstrates what a huge amount of hypocrites, self-deceived, unreal professions exist it highlights the terrible disappointment that thousands of people are going to have on that great day when Jesus comes again and this answers certainly in my heart a number of puzzling questions that have been in my mind and I'm sure in yours for for years why do so many children who make early professions in life and they soon fall away and they forget about God when they're older never go on with God it answers that question. In all likelihood, the majority of them who made those little professions as children were never converted at all. That's all they had. It was just a profession. No going on with God, no fruit being born, no life lived to the glory of God. Why are there so many backsliders? Probably because they never front They were never converted in the first place. I, I came, as you know, before I arrived in Valamone to be the minister here came from a little fishing village called Porto Vogue. Porto Vogue is a very unique place because there's just maybe 600 houses, but it is one of the most evangelical places in this land, it's filled with churches in the village and outside. And because of that, and a lot of gospel influence there, people growing up often made a profession. I used to go around the doors inviting people to come to meetings like this, missions, services in the Lord's Day, people that didn't go, and more than often people said, oh, I'm a backslider, I'm a backslider. Now, they had no concern about church, they had no thought about God, but you see, they look back to a time, well, there was a time when I I said, Jesus saved me, and they thought, okay, everything's well, but there was never never really any fruit born, never going on with God, and all they had was a profession, nothing genuine about it. They're here among the foolish that are represented in our Lord's story. Why is there so little apparent fruit in the lives of hundreds of people who say they know Christ as Savior? Doesn't the Bible say by their fruits you shall know them? And when we look at ourselves, we shouldn't be looking at other people, we want to examine ourselves first of all. We want to look inwardly, is there fruit in my life? Do I bring forth the fruit that the Bible speaks about that ought to be found in the life of the Christian? And it certainly answers that question. Why is there no fruit? And many people who say they're Christians because they're not. They've just got a profession. How is it possible for Christians so-called so to blatantly break the commandments of God? Do you know people like that? They say they're Christians, but they just break God's laws every day. You see, Jesus asked the question, Why call ye me Lord, and do not the things that I say? And he's teaching there that that's a contradiction of terms. You say, I'm your Lord, but you don't obey me. You don't follow me. You don't walk with me. You don't obey my word. You don't keep my commandments. We think what Paul said, they profess that they know God, but in works. They deny him. That's just a hypocrite. I know God, but the way I live, it's denying that I know God. The fool is the man who has fooled himself, who has fooled other people, who has fooled his family, has fooled the preacher, has fooled the elders of the church, but he will never fool God. The fool is trusting in a flimsy, false profession of faith, trusting in being a good free Presbyterian, a good Presbyterian, a good Baptist, a good Methodist, whatever it might be. The fool is trusting in coming to the Lord's table, having membership in a church or whatever the case might be. You see, my friends, you can have all the outward. This is what the Lord is teaching. You can have church membership. You can have the Lord's table. You can be faithful in attendance. You can be liberal in your giving and yet be lost. Go to a Christless eternity. We need to know that. Good, outwardly good, but not saved. So waking up, the five foolish virgins thought it was well with them and it was not. And then I want you to notice in the third place that there is the the parting which they experienced. And I draw attention to verse 10 through to verse 12. Because while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, this is the coming of the Lord, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. That means the door was locked. That's what the Greek word means here. Not just shut till, as we would say, but it was shut and locked. It was bolted. Afterward came the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Sometimes men find out the reality of things when it's too late. The coming of Jesus Christ is going to be a sad eye opener to the self-deceived. Not until then will they discover the true condition of their hearts. Sometimes the carnal hypocrite can despise the, the humbleness and the strictness of other Christians who desire to live for God. When others advance in the things of God, they sneer when others are praised, they scorn. When others receive the well done, they are jealous. When others show keenness in religion, you know, keenness for the prayer meeting, love for God's house, and knowledge of the Bible. These other people despise that kind of Christian, but there's coming a day when they will wish that they had what those people had that they despised. I wish I was like that, genuine and real and true. Love the Lord. What a cry the Savior speaks about. What an exclusion. What rejection. What a finality. There's a parallel portion of Scripture, as you know, earlier in Matthew's gospel at the beginning of the Lord's ministry in the Sermon on the Mount. What we have read tonight is at the end of the Lord's ministry, the last sermon. The sermon on the Mount was one of the first sermons that he preached. And here, let me read you the words in Matthew 7 and verse 21. he's going to come suddenly to this world the Bible says he's coming suddenly in what state will you be found will you be found truly in him and be received and enter in or will you be found with nothing more than the leaves of a false profession never really knowing the Lord and be shut out like these foolish virgins were One final thought just there in verse 13. And that is the principle which is applied. So by way of application to this parable. The Lord says watch therefore. In light of what I've said. I'm coming again. You need to be ready. You need to be counted in among the wise. You need to make sure that you have the lamp. And you have the oil in the lamp. Because the oil is the important thing. The oil speaks of the Holy Spirit of God. And the person that is saved has the indwelling spirit. The person that is converted has been brought to God by the work of regeneration, the new birth, which is the work of the spirit. That's the oil. You've got to make sure that you have that. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. To be watchful therefore, right now, is the important thing. To make sure that you're ready. To make sure that you're washed in the blood of the Lamb. To make sure that you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Renewed by the Spirit of God. To make sure that you are in Christ. Because the Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation. To them that are in Christ Jesus. Watch. In other words be alert. Be vigilant about the matter of your soul. Waken up the Lord would say. Do not be careless and and trifling about the matter of your soul. Do not play the fool when it comes to eternity. In fact, the scripture says, make sure, make your calling and your election sure. That means make sure you're saved. Make sure you're converted. Because one day the door is going to be closed. Locked. Forever. My friends, if you're not on the inside it leaves only one place for you to be. And that's on the outside with the foolish who never truly knew the Lord. You need to get to Christ. That's what we're preaching at this mission. Only one way of redemption and salvation. Only one way to heaven. Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Christ is the only way and you need to make sure that you're found in him, that you're a true believer, that you're among the wise, that you have believed to the saving of your soul. If not, if you're not a Christian, if you not sought him, come tonight and make sure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the solemnity of these words of Christ. They're not the words of a preacher. We're just relating them. But they came directly from the Son of God who came into this world. And they come with great solemnity as they tell us about the day of separation when men will be separated forever. Lord, there's coming that day when the door will be shut. May each one here make sure they're on the inside. Soundly saved. Ready to meet the Lord. Jesus says, be ye also ready. Ready. And Lord, we know from your word how to get ready. Lord, bring men and women and young people to the Savior tonight. Reach down your arm of salvation. Be merciful to these people. We know some of them are concerned, some of them have been thinking about matters that are eternal. We know that some of them tonight would love to be saved, would love to be in heaven. Lord, give them courage, give them grace to take that step of salvation that step that leads them to Christ and Christ alone for Jesus' sake. Amen. And amen. we the to sing 236 out of Christ without a Savior. Oh, can it, can it be like a ship without a rudder in a wild and stormy sea? Oh, to be without a Savior with no hope nor refuge nigh can it be, O oh, blessed Savior, one without thee dares to die? Ye daring to die. Oh be saved, his grace is free. Oh be saved, he died for thee. Let's think of the words as we stand to sing. There's out of Christ without a Savior. And it talks tonight about giving your heart. Now what does that mean? But in gospel terms, it's to realize that you're a sinner. It's to realize that your sin condemns you. Your sin will take you to a lost hell. It's to realize that there's absolutely nothing that you can do to save yourself. But it's to realize that there was one who came. And his name is Jesus it came to be the ransom price for your soul. To die upon the cross and to take our place. Our punishment that we deserve being poured upon him. And it's to come therefore in light of what I've just said. And call upon the Lord and ask him to save you. Come into your life. Just to say Lord I'm a sinner. I know what I deserve. But I thank you that Jesus died for me upon the cross of Calvary. And this night I turn from my sin and by faith I take Christ as my Savior. Lord, come into my heart, come into my life and make all things new. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the promise. You call upon Him, He'll save you. Gracious God, may there be a calling upon the name of the Lord tonight, a stepping out for Christ, Defeat the devil, the world and the flesh, the great enemies of our soul. Lord, give victory and liberty and freedom for men and women and young people to seek the Lord. Call upon his name that they might be saved. Dismiss us now in your fear and with your love. For Jesus' sake. Amen. And if we can help you we're here, just say to me at the door or say to somebody else that you're with tonight and want to talk to the preacher. We can have the joy of opening up the Bible and showing you the way of salvation. Don't go home without him. Amen.